you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world raise $130 million in growth funding and can help you fast track product market fit and where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Great. So today I'm really happy to welcome on the show co-founder of Scale Labs, Jack O'Holloran. Welcome, Jack. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we describe Scale Labs as an elastic blockchain network that allows you to build powerful Ethereum dApps and effectively run those dApps in a decentralized modular cloud, what you're calling a Web3 cloud, built for real-world needs uh, and allowing developers to deploy in just a few lines of code. Sounds like Nirvana. I believe the last time we met, we were just chatting off air, was on a rooftop party in Shanghai. Sounds <laughs> glorious. Um, and we we realized that we are both probably super spreaders of COVID um, as, a, as a consequence of both that and general trips around Asia. So um, we should uh, we should hang our heads in shame about that. Um, but uh, but it was fun hanging out with you. I definitely remember that. And uh, that was actually a good night. I think it was Binance's party, right, on the rooftop, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that is that's correct. And it's 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 funny. You look back and it's like it feels like a lifetime ago where you know just no masks. You're out traveling around the world. You're hanging out on a roof, cheersing people, shaking hands. And uh, so hopefully we'll get back to it. But it, yeah, it was a. Uh, Awesome meeting you then, and and just you know excited to be on the podcast today. I, mean, I remember that rooftop view. It was one of those insane ones, just around the bend. Um, I forget the name of the district now, but it was it was just ridiculous. Um, anyway, we're in a different world now. No shaking hands, I guess. Um, so uh, reasons why I've got you on the show, not just because you've been a drinking buddy, although that helps, um, <laughs> but because since then you've been making brilliant progress. And uh, I don't know whether people already know this, but you guys have been around for a while now. You were building back in 2017 in the last bull run. You resisted the temptation to do an ICO and launch a token and, and uh, manage to finance this, build it out. And here you are in this current bull run um, making great success. You've had brilliant backers from Multicoin, BoostVC, Galaxy Digital, Vinka Voss, Hashed, uh, you, you name it. I guess you picked up Hashed. Um, uh, out in Asia. And um, you're focused on perhaps not the sexy part of the space with everything that's going on in NFTs now, but a critical part, right? Developer adoption. Everyone talks about adoption of crypto and Web3. Um, and they think of that in a consumer context. But I don't know whether you've got a better number than this, but certainly I'd be amazed if anything more than 2% of the global developer population are doing anything remotely interesting with all this stuff yet. So we've got a we've got a long way to go. You've also got amazing traction with validators. Um, and yeah, according to stakingrewards.com, as of, uh, what are we now, March, um, you are 13th in, uh, proof of stake network. You've got uh, just under 3 billion staked. And of course, what that means or equates to is uh, 
a high level of security for the dApps that leverage what you're doing. Um, so we're going to unpack all that later, but let's just jump into, well, actually, firstly, before we go into that, do you have any gauge on general developer adoption of all this stuff in Web3? Yeah, you know, hey, I think we're clearly still very, very early. Um, the benefit that I think we all have, the, those of us learning about the space, working in the space, building in the space, is, is that the amount of problems to be solved over in this side of the world is like, we've solved the, you know, maybe we only have 1% or half a percent of the world's like high quality entrepreneurial developers, but there are 99% of the problems still left to be solved. And if you go into Web2 and enterprise software and more established spaces, we're talking, you know, you've got to hunt for a problem. You've got to search for a problem. You've got to search for a growing market where there's not 10,000 other companies. And so there's just going to be so much room for growth just because there's so much open space and just greenfield opportunities. And that's what gets me excited. Cool. So let's jump into your background. So you did a bit of BD at Motorola in 2007. Uh, you co-founded a company called Actana in 2008. And you were there for a long time. You grew up to 150 plus employees, um, uh, an amazing list of global Fortune 500 customers. And that was centered around AI and machine learning, right, for sales and marketing insights. Yeah, ex exactly. So I you know, come from, and actually my first startup was a company called Good Technology. It was mobile computing and really cryptography. Um, uh, Stan, my co-founder, randomly did our uh, cryptography certification. So I, I kind of got an early intro to cryptography, but then in mobile, and then that transitioned into AI machine learning. And, and uh, yeah, I was able to build a you know, world-leading company in a category and, oh, and was there for a long time, about nine years. And you know, learned a lot of, I think, good lessons along the way, made some mistakes that I think all entrepreneurs will make that you are valuable mistakes that you learn from, and then you go and apply them more intelligently to your next effort. And that's, that film's still going, right? You know, you're still a shareholder. You, you didn't exit or anything like that. Oh, well, yeah. No, the, there are, you know, that company is booming. I think there's about 400 people at the company now. They're uh, raised another big round of capital. Uh, for me, uh, as a founder, I, you know, had been there nine years and and, and I think a lot of people may know how this feels, but I was spending like every waking moment reading about crypto, learning about uh, smart contracts, learning about uh, Ethereum, learning about uh, the way this other space was booming. And so I, um, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to go start another company, I'm still a major shareholder of my prior company, and they're doing phenomenal. It's great to see that. But I, uh, I, I went down the rabbit hole and there's no getting me back, so to speak. So that's, uh, you know took me into, into exploring the space in 2017 and meeting Stan, my co-founder, Stan Cladco, in uh, 2017 and us uh, joining forces at the very end of that year and, and starting scale. Yeah. So hopefully by the end of this episode, all those founders listening enviously um, as to what you're doing in, in this space will take inspiration and, and quit their their jobs and, and, and come into the space, right? That's, that, that's the goal. Yeah, sometimes you got to be bold. And uh, it's, it's hard to leave something when that's going well and that you enjoy. But uh, there's, this is a very unique once in a lifetime opportunity, I think, to come into a new burgeoning industry that it's not just about technology, it's about incentive alignment and, uh, and ownership and rights and there's a community and a person, uh, like personal component to crypto that Web2 can't compete with. And I think 
you know, you're going to see, I, my guess is we're going to have 10 times the number of entrepreneurs come in this year than we're in the space and aggregate uh, by the end of, at the end of last year. Whew, bullish. I, I would, I'd agree with you based on what we're seeing. So let's go into scale. So, you know, you could have, you, so you're in the sidelines. Um, of course, this is 2017. So the world was in a very different place then. Um, the crypto space was uh, l- much less mature, although, of course, you know, I'm sure you would argue, like many, that it, it's still immature. It's still very difficult to onboard new developers, prohibitively high for CTO founders to kind of come into the space if, if they're totally new to it. But why did you land upon the mission of scale? And, you know, maybe for clarity, what is the mission of scale? Yeah, so so the number one mission of scale is, is to help bring Ethereum and blockchain to hundreds of millions of users or billions of users. And I, I do think we're going to have billions of users in Web3. Um, scale is an elastic blockchain network, which means every application has their own blockchain that can connect back to the Ethereum mainnet. And our goal is to bring the value of decentralized applications and NFTs and decentralized finance and decentralized social networking projects and decentralized healthcare solutions to people. And, uh, and we're excited about that. And I can actually um, yeah, be happy to kind of talk about how that mission, uh, we got on that mission. And really, it was, you know, I think one of the, the really good entrepreneurial stories of you have a problem for yourself and you figure out how to solve it and you realize other people have it. Um, yeah, happy to go in that, into that if, if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's um, that would be good insight. Yeah. So, so hey, I I think I got the Bitcoin white paper in 2011, like a lot of people, and started like uh, you know buying Bitcoin in 2013. To be honest, I, I knew very very little about blockchain and about underlying technology of blockchain and smart contracts, and and so it wasn't until 2017 or 16 where I just went down the Ethereum rabbit hole and I recognized the value of decentralized applications. And so what, so I was working on starting, I had like four or five different ideas I was working on that were decentralized application ideas. And I kept running into two, two walls. One, it was just too expensive and slow and the user experience was too bad when using Ethereum and any blockchain for that matter. Two, the market was just, you know, I was just early. I just knew it was early. Like we weren't, and, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why there was such uh, a, a long winter is that token prices had outpaced traction. And I think here we are in a different environment now in 2021 where we actually have good traction, but we still I, you know, need to deliver as an industry uh, to keep up with the promise. And I, I think you know, it's not as far out of alignment as it was before. So for, for me, I, I recognize that one, because of these issues, it was going to be hard for me to launch because you could create a product, but the users weren't there. Um, if you got the users, the user experience wasn't there. And, and that's when I met Stan. Um, Stan has a PhD in physics. He, uh, from Max Planck Institute, he studied at Los Alamos National Laboratory. He studied at Stanford doing physics research. He joined Dan Bonet uh, in, in 2000 as one of the you know, first team members, uh, founding team members for a cryptography startup called Ingria Networks and became an expert in cryptography. And then he ran a NIST certified crypto lab for seven years and then went on to build, a, you know, had a company called Claudessa in the city of London and New York, San Francisco, public Wi-Fi leverages this technology. So Stan's a crypto expert and a networking expert and 
Um, he was a virtual machine expert. He built the Java virtual machine with a number of other physicists back in uh, in the in the late '90s. So he's uh, we met, and Stan had an idea for I think four or five different applications. And he's like, "Hey, I'm building a decentralized Twitter payments platform, and I'm building a you know we're going to build a rideshare platform like Uber, and we're going to launch it first here and here." And then he had these four ideas. I was like, "Stan, why?" Why do you think you could build four ideas? He's like, well, if you look at Ethereum and and you you look at what's lacking is there's this this middle piece. And I was like, oh, this is middleware. And I think this is no one used the term layer two back then or, you know, uh, execution layer. <laughs> and and we're and, uh, and we part, we talked about it. I was like, Stan, maybe the right play. You and I both know middleware. We have this problem. Why don't we bring this to all the other entrepreneurs? We know it's going to take a while to build. And the market will catch up and the timing will be really good. And, you know, let's make a pack. Like, let's not launch a token. Do we have something working and functioning and, and decentralized? And it might take a while. And we're probably going to go through a bear market. And, and we did. But we, you know, we rode that out and we built something to solve our problems that then could solve problems for other people. So that was really the genesis of, of scale. Got you. So before we go into scale and you know what's unique about it and its its various features and, and product set, um, at, at the top end, let's cover cover off a few points. So, um, so firstly, to be provocative, um, are you an ETH maximalist? You know what is the in two thousand seventeen compared to now? You know there is a growing universe of other protocols. Um, are you are you committed to Ethereum? Is and if so, is there a reason why, or is that just the starting point? Yeah. So let me say, I'm not. I think the term maximalist sometimes means people who put their head in the sand and don't want to hear other ideas. So I'm I'm not one of those. What I am is a big believer in the Ethereum ecosystem, and I think that the Ethereum tooling and developer ecosystem and the language of solidity and and uh, the rails that that help support blockchain that are Ethereum compatible are going to be what drives a majority of market share. I also think there are some phenomenal teams building uh, other solutions. And I do think they're going to get, and I, I actually do think they'll be successful. Um, and I think my guess is knowing the way enterprise software worked as I you know, was in that industry for a long time and seeing B2B uh, come together is you're going to start seeing more specialization. So you'll start seeing some of these layer ones that are comp competing with Ethereum understand that, well, they better go focus in one area because they have unique strengths that Ethereum doesn't have. But, but in general, my, I am, I'm very bullish on the ETH ecosystem because developer, developers generally pick winners in these categories and, and the developers are on Ethereum by and large. And there's so many people building on every component of Ethereum and, um, and so I'm excited about it and glad, you know, we're glad to be part of, we consider ourselves a part of the ETH community uh, as, you know, you know, a separate network, but a network that's even driven by Ethereum. I can talk more about that later. Yeah, great. And so I had a Bison Trails on last week. Um, and so just for the listeners, really, could you, could you talk about how you guys are different um, aside from perhaps the, the the kind of exclusive focus on Ethereum, but like generally in the context of onboarding, you know, DApp developers, 
how are you complementary? Are you competing or are you just different? Yeah, you know, the cool thing about if you look at like a, bi- a bison trails or a block demon, a lot of what they do in terms of virtualization and containerization and node management is the same thing scale does, but at a, at a level up for blockchain. So we're all using Docker, we're all con- uh, you know containerizing compute resource, but actually uh, like a bison trails and block daemon and these uh, staking as a service providers run uh, and, and you know, they, they, run the, they can run the scale network. Okay, so they're using their uh, ways to optimize computing resources. And let me try to make this non-technical for a second for just listeners. So let's assume that, you know, we've got like, you know, a pool of water. That pool of water is a lot of computing power. I could go take a bucket and dip into that pool um, and, you know, pull that out. And that's, an, you know, I'm basically taking, I don't need to create new computing power. I'm just dividing it from the bigger group. And I can create different chunks and sizes and orchestrate how those work. And I can bring a bucket over here and I can bring a half a pool over to the other somewhere else. I could bring, and, and that's really what containers do. They don't make you make hardware or like the walls of a pool define the realities of how compute can be portioned out. And so what scale does is it actually creates a blockchain that needs to run on uh, servers like a Block Daemon, Bison Trails, Figment, um, Chorus One, whomever is running these types of uh, these types of uh, these nodes, and um, and then a developer says, "Hey, I want to." You know, there's a, Bondly is an example of an NFT project, or uh, Mines, a social networking project, or Brain Trust as a decentralized business model for uh, outsourced IT talent. Like they're all going to use Scale for, and. They say, oh, I need a scale blockchain. They come to the, the scale network. There's 153 high-powered computers in the network providing this pool of resources. And then the Ethereum mainnet actually acts as that bucket <laughs> and it dips into the pool and it gives a bucket to each one of the applications that and that that, but the pool in the water is brought forth by the validator companies like the block daemons and Bison trails and uh, uh, validators of the world, and they use they bring that compute resource, and they actually have like a pool over wherever else, and they're probably putting a piece of their pool in scale, a piece of it into Solana, and a piece into E2, and you know a piece into Polkadot, and they're kind of spreading their their resource across the different uh, blockchain networks. And what Scale does is it spreads its different resources across different applications. And, and scale also connects to Ethereum. And so let's say you want to run something on Ethereum. You take your game or your NFT platform, you connect it to scale. And it's like, you know, you get your own, if it's a traffic lane, there's one big lane with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cars on it. And it's like, you know, per second going through the highway, it's really slow. And then there's another lane that every car or another highway and every car gets its own lane. And there's like, thousand highways next to the big highway. And that's really what scale is. It gives each application its own lane to drive in by way of a decentralized pool of compute resource provided by validator or staking as a service companies, such as the ones we talked about. So that's a lot to unpack, but does that help? And happy to- Yeah, no, 
I think that'll, I think that will help people. Um, and just for context, you've got, I mean, I don't even know the number, right? But there was certainly at least 20, 30 logos of validators on your website. I don't know what the official number is. Yeah, there's 46 unique validator orgs, which all can be seen on stakingrewards.com, which I think is a phenomenal website for, I don't know the team that built that website, but it's amazing. Whoever you are, good job. Like, I want to meet you. Um, uh, but it's a really great resource to understand metrics on proof of stake networks. And you look and you can dig in and see all these uh, all this information on every proof of stake network and that's that's really plugged in through an API so the data is really accurate. So yeah, Scale's got 46 validator orgs running uh, 153 nodes with about 2.3 billion. Is that what we said? Two seven, yeah. A two seven billion uh, in value staked into the network. Yeah, great. Um, and one last question before at a high level before we go into this, just because I think it's interesting for fellow founders who now find themselves in a bull run. Maybe it's the first one, maybe it's you know the second one since seventeen, um, and are thinking about should they rush out a token or you know they're feeling anxious that they might miss this market. You know, you guys elected to not do an ICO in 17. Uh, as I said, at the top end, you managed to, despite that, close, well, pretty much every major high-profile VC, especially in uh, North America, on both coasts, in, on the US. Um, could you just talk us through that decisioning? And how did you convince people to back you, you know, almost irrespective of the cycle? So I think, you know... what. My philosophy, and I think what worked for us and what works for our core team is we try to put blinders on to token prices and you know the macro as much as possible. I think you need to like have an understanding of that and you need to think about it as it relates to to timing, but it's really tough to time the market. And I think you know there's there's definitely a best practice now and, I, and even a requirement. I think we were a little, I'd say I was forward thinking or lucky and that we're our, our values drove the right decisions from a securities perspective. But yeah, if you're not decentralized and you're going to, you know, launch a token and the product doesn't exist, that's, you know, kind of a, that's a big no, no. So you've got to get your product to the point where it's, you know, being built in a decentralized fashion, it's being run in a decentralized fashion, it's open source. And, um, and it doesn't require the effort of central actors, um, in order to be able to launch a token, at least if you want to have compliance, if you deal with US market at all, that's kind of the best practice. And we, we just, in general, part of it was like, we don't want to sell a token to a bunch of people and then have it not work. Uh, we wanted to make sure we could deliver. And, um, and, you know, but we also wanted to make sure that when we did a launch that we were able to give, you know, not just VCs access. And so we did a public sale through consensus that was, a compliant way of doing it as a proof of use sale. So, um, but yeah, these these are hard things. But I do think you know we anybody who's worked in crypto knows that there are cycles, and this cycle at some point will end and it will go down, and people will be worried, and then it'll go back up. And so I think you've always got to like uh, you know just do the right things from a fundamentals perspective. And make sure that, you know, hey, if you're raising a round of financing, uh, go raise it right now. The market's in a good place. But another smart thing I think we did, we tried to raise at a, a valuation that would ride through 
a downturn. And I think a lot of our peers ended up raising really big rounds during the peak, like just obscenely large rounds of obscenely large valuations. And then when the net, when the market was down, then they launched and their community really got hammered because, you know, people that bought early took profit off the table and because it, it was based on a prior valuation that just wasn't realistic. So I think, you know, try to see through, like play the long game. Mike Maples has, you know, great, uh, you know, some great thoughts at, uh, at Floodgate. They have some really interesting uh, points on just slow money, like make slow money. Um, and that's that would be my advice to people, like play the long game. Cool. All right. So let's jump into what is scale. Um, so as I understand it, you've got four characteristics products. You've got, you know, it's it's uh, Byzantine fault tolerant, it's asynchronous protocol, threshold signatures, and leaderless consensus. And the idea is that you achieve decentralization, improve performance without compromising, you know, computation, storage, security. So could you talk us through, uh, I guess, the product suite and then how, how that's possible? You know, how are you achieving these, um, these wins? Yeah. So, you know what, I, I'm going to bucket this, try to bucket this for people in three buckets. One will be the role of Ethereum in the scale network and the technology that lives on Ethereum. The second would be, uh, I think, consensus. And the third uh, will be uh, messaging and uh, BLS threshold signatures. So if you think about it, uh, there's a network out there with all of these, you know, with these nodes, which is a scale network. And if you have a, a decentralized game or DeFi application, you say, hey, I want to run a scale chain, you get your own blockchain. But the way you get your own blockchain is you make the request from the Ethereum mainnet and you pay scale tokens in the Ethereum mainnet. And then these, there's a set of smart contracts called Scale Manager. They work together to then orchestrate and manage the scale network. And so uh, I guess one uh, acronym I'm trying to use or word is just this is an Ethereum orchestrated blockchain. So Ethereum runs the scale network. It dictates where the nodes work. And if you think about that, we, that happens because Ethereum is very, very secure. And when the security of the Ethereum mainnet is in charge of determining the node groupings on the scale network, it makes collusion incredibly tough. Okay, so that's really valuable. And the scale tokens on the Ethereum network, it plugs into everything. It, if you stake on the scale network, that stake actually goes in the Ethereum mainnet. And uh, the bounty and the rewards, the inflation all happens on the Ethereum mainnet. Because Ethereum's really good at, at secure actions that don't have to happen too often, right? And on the scale network, a lot of these things happen on a monthly basis. And so that happens on Ethereum because Ethereum's really good at that. Then over on the scale network, each blockchain has some unique features. And one is the scale consensus. This is the leaderless BFT consensus. And I think a lot of people are like companies and projects and or groups that would have a consensus like this would say, hey, let's go create a pure layer one and try to compete with Ethereum. And, and right now, this because of the consensus, scale uh, block times are uh, anywhere from 0.35 to 0.45 seconds. And what that means is you and the block sizes are much larger. So it means is you can just do so much more on chain. And if you're a developer, you buy a blockchain for six months or 12 months or 24 months, you rent it from the network. And then you're not being charged gas fees. You know, your users don't get penalized for use. They can use it 
up to the capacity of your compute power. And, um, and so that's another feature I think that's really interesting because it lets you have really fast gasless transactions. And, and then what, we, what we're going to see with that is we're going to see more and more actions and pieces of logic and escrows and, and functions take place on chain. Right now, uh, oftentimes developers just have to let all this stuff happen off chain. And then that action drives an on-chain event. And when blockchain interactions are faster and less expensive, that means you can get more trustless activities on chain. And so that's a big piece. The last piece uh, is threshold signatures. So it's a messaging protocol so that once consensus is achieved, blockchains, scale chains can speak with scale chains and scale chains can speak to the Ethereum mainnet in a very fast, lightweight manner. So those are... Um, and then there's some other, I think, cool stuff under the hood. It's all open source. Please check it out and, you know, please use it if there's any pieces for your own projects that you find interesting and, and, and contribute. And, but that's, uh, that's the high level. I guess one other thing I'd say is that, you know, there's just an application of containerization happening. And if you go to the enterprise, um, there's not an enterprise software company that's not gone super deep into the rabbit hole of Docker and Kubernetes and, you know, really understanding how to optimize resources in a network instead of saying, Hey, here's a computer. And this one computer does a job on scale. Um, people can put this computer out, but it gets split into these different buckets and one node on the scale network can help right now, 32 different blockchains. The, uh, in the future, there'll be a one 128th component and, you might have a blockchain that's renting 132nd of your computer. You might have one that's renting 1 128th, or you might have one that's renting the whole resource. And what it does, it just gives a lot more efficiency and cost savings and configurability to companies and projects that want to run, run scale chains. And so what kind of, um, what type of adoption are you seeing? Is it mainly dApps? Is it enterprise? Is it a mixture of both? Are you seeing it in adoption coming through in particular verticals? Yeah. So right now we're, so if you check out the scale blog, there's a, a use case marathon happening because we wanted to show off all the various use cases. And uh, let's see here. I mean, you, there are a lot of these uh, in, in place and we just announced, I think 13 or 14 of them. Um, uh, like Minds, which is a decentralized social network, Brain Trust, decentralized talent marketplace, Crypto Crusades is a uh, decentralized game that puts all the activities on the game. Uh, Collabland is a you know influencer decentralized uh, network where you can do influencer engagement, uh, which has a massive amount of users. Um, Human Protocol is launching, you know, with HCAPTCHA, there's hundreds of millions of people running uh, through that system a day. And they are, uh, you know, we're in a bake-off right now working with them and you can read about that. Um, so solve care, decentralized healthcare, uh, and they're really optimizing payment uh, structure between insurance providers uh, or payers and, and healthcare. So there's just, there's a lot of use cases. And when it comes down to it, if you build something for Ethereum, you can connect that to scale really quickly and be up and running in hours. And so uh, that's, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of various use cases. And presumably um, 
you know, said at the top end, you, you can deploy in just a few lines of code. So there is no onboarding, really. It, it's um, and it, and it's pretty democratic, right? Whether you're a large enterprise, whether you're a, a DAP doing a proof of concept, you can access the network equally. It just comes down to the strength of your documentation and ease of use, right? Exactly. And, um, and you know, to use the bridge between the Ethereum mainnet and scale, there's a little more work, but it's maybe half a day of work. And just, but to deploy to a scale chain, it's, it's like two lines of code. So, um, so the de- developer user experience is actually really critical. I think some people think, hey, devs will chew through glass just to use something they want. But if you make it easier for them, you just remove friction. And that's one of the goals of, of, uh, of scale is just improve user experience for everybody, whether it be a DAP developer um, or a user of a DAP. Right. So let's zoom out uh, and kind of close off on a, like a forward-looking statement or opinion you, what's your perspective? You, you know, you're committed to Ethereum. What's your view on um, ETH2? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Scale was designed to work with ETH2. Uh, we knew for a long time that ETH2 was going to be a structure that really worked. You know, I, I, I think I wrote a blog, blog post about this in 2018 uh, called The Execution Layer. And I was saying, we're going to find mainnets acting as base layers that secure assets and then an execution layer. And I'm saying, hey, the term layer two sucks. Like it's not very, uh, you know, it's very broad. It can mean a number of things. It's the word layer and the number two are pretty, pretty opaque terms in terms of connecting to real technical details. So I was saying execution layer is better because we're going to find even ETH2 is going to be connecting into different scalability uh, mechanisms. And Scales building one that is, is about having a, an app-specific blockchain. And, and so ETH now is even, the spec keeps changing for ETH2, where it becomes more and more friendly to layer two or scalability layer solutions. So we're excited for it. I think it's just going to add more and more value to move into proof of stake. I try not to get involved in too many of the politics of when and how that happens. Uh, there's already a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now on that, but hopefully... Hopefully we can get uh, this over the line in the next year. Jack, thanks so much for coming on. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you and hearing about how things have progressed since we last spoke. And uh, I'm just looking forward to the next in-person conference where we can get drunk on a hotel rooftop bar again. (laughs) We're we're overdue for that, about a year and a half or something. It's been, been a long time. So I think everyone else is too. Hopefully there'll be a a uh, you know breakout crypto conference and and I will see you there. <laughs> the first crypto conference to actually happen in a safe way is going to be insane. Those uh, those those parties are going to be insane. Um, uh, where can people find you? How can they? You know, how can a developer um, quickly onboard into Scale? Yeah. Um, so if you go to the Scale website, scale.network, S K A L E. That's a good place. You can find me at Jack O'Holloran on Twitter. And uh, you can go to the Scale Discord, I think, just by scale.chat. We'll guide you there. And um, and uh, Discord is where I'd recommend you go as a developer. If you want to be part of the community, uh, please join the Scale Telegram. And I think that is at Scale Official. But you can find all these links through the website. And, and please, uh, you know, Scale is open source, decentralized, community run. 
um, please come, you know, learn and, and, uh, and, and, you know, become a part of the community if you're interested. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Jack. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.